Hello, and welcome back to this month's edition of DMs Anonymous. As always, we have our co-hosts Andreas and Ari. How y'all doing today? I'm melting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming out of my cage and I'm doing just fine. That's good. That's good. That's good. So how's every how's everybody's month of gaming been since last time we were together? Uh, well, my my split up, reforming into a, not actually haven't played much. That's sad. Yeah, uh, I've been incredibly busy. Um, all of my games are getting to real exciting points. Um, one of them starting a new arc. Another one is uh, this afternoon going to be fighting a boss that I was not expecting them to encounter this early. Um, but definitely a lot of fun all around. So I'm excited to see. Just uh, have we're a boss throw into a, a different dimension or something, so you don't have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I'll. We'll. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, since last time we were on the uh, Acquisitions Inc. book from Wizards dropped, uh, which is based on something the Penny Arcade guys did as a live stream, apparently, or something. I've never actually watched it, but it's a pretty fun book. There's all sorts of really random backgrounds now, like Rival Intern is a background now, and like Documancer is a background. Yeah, I saw a bit of a made about it. It's basically based kind of like the office yeah. structure, and like the, the backgrounds are like made for that, so you can be a Bureaucromancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there, <laughs> there's a lot of really fun new backgrounds in there. Um, and it, it seems like you really got to, like, you got to play it Everyone's got to be in on it for it to really work, but it does seem like a really fun kind of thing because there's all these like, because Acquisitions Inc. is a company you run together. And so there's all these downtime activities to do, like, you know, like sourcing new products to sell and all this other stuff. So it's really, it's really random, but it, it looks like a lot of fun. I don't know if I don't know if I'll actually get to run a game with it, but it would be fun to see. I love the idea of the race in that book, like a mutated like uh, goblins kinda, mm-hmm. uh, which I think could fit in in almost any fantasy setting if you wanted. Yeah, it reminded me very much of uh, the bank in Harry Potter. The mm-hmm. whoever run the uh, less less ugly. I, I I immediately thought Star Trek with. Oh yeah, that's another good. That's another good uh, metaphor for him. Mm-hmm. And we have our, our Ari over here who doesn't do 5e because she's weird. <laughs> yeah, well, Listen, actually, I'm, I'm slowly, steadily getting there. <laughs> speaking of that, I'm actually switching from 5e to uh, Voin now. Huh. So that's going to be interesting. More specifically, Voin now because there's three. There's uh, old, now, and new. Where oldest fantasy, now is now, contemporary, 80. <laughs> It's kind of small, like a little future, and then new is like far future space travel. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for one of my Kickstarters to get in, which is uh, all about the retroverse, so like 80s sci-fi, like 80s sci-fi mm-hmm. movies as a 5e setting. Super excited for that to show up. Well, that definitely sounds like fun. I will say the, the um, oh, goodness gracious me, mind fart, ignore me, continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll get into our topic for the week which is homebrewing. When do you allow it? How do you allow it? Do you allow it? Things you've done, you know, that kind of stuff. How, so, what, so Andreas, like when you do allow homebrewing at all in your campaigns or? Uh, I'm very, 
I'm very uh, let's try and find a solution kind of GM. Like very much like you can if you want to do something that's not in the in the the books, we can we can probably figure something out. I'm not good at the balance of it necessarily. Usually we stick to like when we play Dungeon Dragons stuff that's published by Wizard of the Coast in some way. So not uh, not unearthed Arcana, I think it's called, where it's like, mm-hmm. but like like all the approved stuff, and then. If people want to do something that's slightly out of of those archetypes, often what I, what we do is we retool a class. Like we we change it thematically, but mechanically it's still the same. Mm-hmm. Because because the balance can get really wonky if you start making your own stuff unless you really know what you're doing. Did you ever um, homebrew your like own items or spells or anything like that, or you pretty much stick to the uh, the book? I have made. Some items, lore items, like like campaign items, right? That's like specific. They're like historically important. So and and so I've made. But I try. I try to start with something in the book that might be similar and retool it so it fit. Because okay. I'm scared of missing too much with the numbers, and then like making something that's too good or like complete shit. Uh, the most I make is like monsters. I think like like a special named monster. I make I can make I have made those myself. Yeah, that's something I don't do. Like I uh, I'll reskin a monster, sure, but I, I always use a, a proven stat block for for a monster. I, I I reskin more than I make one, but I for something that's like very specific, I've made I've made one before. The big bad, the first big bad of my big long campaign where we, they never got there. <laughs> I made him for you. Mm, yeah, but like you know, the big bad in my current campaign, I'm I'm just reskinning one of the monsters from Mordekins because those are vicious. If you've ever read through that, I skimmed through it, not read the whole thing. All right, what about you? Um, I'm definitely in the same boat for um, reskinning uh, uh, pre-made stat blocks because uh, PFSRD has. Absolutely phenomenal stats uh, for NPCs and beasts. So uh, it's like pages and pages and pages worth <clears throat> of uh, stuff that I can use for pretty much any of the games that I run. Um, as for items, uh, I've, I usually work closely with my players on uh, homebrewing items uh, to, one, fit what they're going to be wanting to use and to as long as it's balanced and if it isn't totally balanced then I'll just kind of bring um, uh, I'll try and bring things that are you know a little tougher uh, things that are a little bit uh, more difficult for them to face off against because they do have those stronger items so it's it it all balances out in the end do you see any themes of like common items players want to homebrew or you know like, are there are there very specific things that players tend to want to homebrew over others? I usually notice weapons are like the number one thing that I see. Um, be it uh, like coming up with their own enchantments that they want to do, or uh, reskinning a weapon to uh, fit a certain stat block, but have the appearance of another one. Maybe if it doesn't show up in uh, PFSRD. So okay, yeah. I'm generally I tell players, look, uh, anything from wizards is fine. The you know if you want to do that, uh, you know, and I don't care if they go crazy with it because 
I know some, well, and, and I know even Wizard says, like, especially with uh, Ravnica, you should really only play it in a Ravnica campaign. Mm-hmm. And, but I'm like, whatever, guys, do it, do whatever you want to do. But, uh, you know, I've, uh, I'll homebrew some items, but for the most part, um, they, they tend to only be, I would consider them like uncommon magical items. So I, I, I'm too scared to like try and like bust out a, you know, sort of Azeroth level, level thing, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't want to break the game. There's too many game breaking things in, in D and D, uh, that I, that I can give them that I know are, you know, there instead of just like accidentally breaking them too early. In uh, one of my, uh, in my very first Pathfinder game, uh, I managed to acquire a sword that was absolutely broken because for every five points of points of damage that I dealt, uh, I gained plus one temporary strength. And in Pathfinder, you add your strength modifier to your damage. And it just kind of exponentially grew and it was very broken. And I loved watching the uh, horrified expressions of everybody at the table because uh, the dam was like, no, I want to see, I want to see where this goes. I want, and I was like kind of in That's the same smart. boat. Was that an item officially or did someone, did someone make it? No, it was to- totally homebrew, totally homebrew. Yeah. Whoever homebrew that item needs to be hit because they they should have known <laughs> that was going to be bad. I mean, come on, like, because it's just kind of like a foresight thing. Did you have like, like did oh, you have extra no. attack or anything like that going on? Or uh, it was a fairly low level game to start out with, but by the time we got because the campaign ended when we were like level eleven, so I was still getting like three attacks a turn, and I had like a plus. 20 modifier to my strength so it was, i have <laughs> i think i did the math it was like 60 uh but uh that that was uh sure was something <laughs> <coughs> sorry about that so uh what's what's sort of like your favorite homebrew thing you've seen or players have come to you with like hey i want to do this wheels are turning hold on um uh, in my Sunday afternoon game, I have uh, one player who's um, been going through and uh, he effectively made a napalm strike spell um, where it's a, uh, I think we agreed it's either a fourth or fifth level spell. It's like um, a 60 foot line, 46 or something like that. I, I have to go back and double check, but um, that was a lot of uh, fun to build with him. Uh, just to figure it out because he is like pyromancer extreme and um, but just to, uh, it was like partially reskinning another spell and partially uh, reworking it to fit uh, what would work well for him so um, he and I have actually had a lot of uh, really fun opportunities to do um, homebrew for his character my players has never asked for a homebrew. They've asked for like, can thematically can it be different, like the spell or that spell, or can it be more like so it fits my character better? Which is like, yeah, sure, always, pretty much. But they've never asked for custom spells in what we played. So. Yeah, I mean, especially at this point with with D and D, there's there's so much stuff. There's so much official stuff. It's hard to it's hard to want to homebrew it. Yeah, I mean when. The the one exception is when you like really homebrew the world. Like I did a far future 
setting. And so people, you know, they wanted some homebrew kind of stuff, you know, essentially, essentially lightsabers. Uh, but So we had to work those out. But, you know, we, if you play in a sort of a standard D&D setting, there's just so much stuff at this point. And I've got and like, also- got like, 12 books on my shelf right now of all five like just all 5e official 5e stuff yeah and the nice thing go ahead sorry i have like three or four books like horde dragon queen dungeon master guide and monster manual and we have a share player's handbook in the apartment but we have it all on D beyond as well there is like a lot of stuff this is a really nice only three books one for each like kind of setting yeah. The nice thing too is that like there's such a huge community that's always putting out new material. Like even if you yourself don't want to go through and make the homebrew material yourself, there's a pretty darn good chance that someone else has and you can go find that. Oh yeah, for sure. And there's always like crazy kickstarters and that kind of stuff and um drive uh drive through RPG it's got so much stuff. It's one of my favorites. I've definitely, uh, I've definitely used a lot of stuff from them to uh, to help my uh, my campaigns out, especially like uh, player created modules and stuff. Mm. I've, uh, uh, like uh, like House of Poe was a really good player created Halloween kind of kind of one, and there's just been a bunch of other stuff. And uh, if you watch Humble Bundle, they'll come out with really good, like especially Five E. Well, I've also seen Pathfinder bundles. I've where I've actually it's, seen more Pathfinder than Five E. A lot yeah. more. And there's like, like we think there's a lot for 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 Dungeon and Dragons Five uh, E. There's like a lot for Pathfinder. It's insane how much content there is for that. Which is well, maybe because I just don't run in the Pathfinder circles, but I never hear about Pathfinder. So I'm just like, whatever. It's kind of been the go-to Dungeon and Dragons experience from three. Po- Either people played three point five, or they played Pathfinder until fifth edition came out. Mm. Okay. Pretty much, yep. At least here in my country, that's the the sentiment I get from people I talk to. That's pretty much been my experience as well. Yeah, because from what I understand, fourth edition just sucked. <laughs> it not so much it sucked. It's just that it didn't. A lot of people didn't care for it because a lot of the um, like major archetypes for classes uh ran exactly the same and it played more like an mmo than a tabletop game Mm, okay i can see that i also heard like the math was really wonky in 4e yeah yeah and part of it too was that they were trying to kind of capitalize on like all those mmo rpgs that were out at the time like um I don't know if star wars tour was out at that point but i know uh wow definitely was um but I mean, there was plenty because, like that—that that was like that time when all of those uh, memorpagas were huge. Memorpaga—I've never heard it said like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've only met like three other people who do, and they kind of got me to start saying it. But yeah, I mean, from what I understand, like it's like it's very finicky in the combat. Fifth, like for, for like it's like there's like position requirements and stuff, whereas there's not that in fifth edition at all. I don't know. And Pathfinder as well is like w- w- kind of three point five combat, but more advanced. More, there's a lot of classes in Pathfinder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so y'all ready for the mailbag? I believe so. All right. This comes from Zach from Florida. We actually have listeners who email us. It's crazy. Holy shit! Incredible. What are you? What are you doing with your life? Why are you listening to what we have? To do? <laughs> 
All right, so, hey, guys, I am curious, what character have you played that you would consider broken? This could be with any aspect about the character. Zach from Florida. I don't oh think boy. I feel like I've ever played a broken character, but I've never played as a player character that much. I have played a bard, and I have played a sorcerer, and neither of them felt particularly broken to the level that I played them. See, um, in 5e, at least in from just reading and looking at it, like I feel if you get sufficiently high enough with any class, it'll be broken. See, I get the impression, also from watching Critical Role when they're high level, that they're all everything's broken at high level but when everything's broken nothing's broken right that's what makes it fun right i mean but unless you just like really really mismanage a character they all get kind of broken i have never played anything i thought was broken i've seen things i as a dungeon master when i when i like when my players were doing stuff i felt like okay that seems really good but it it's working as intended but like for example paladin's smite can sometimes surprise me with how much damage they Mm -hmm. But I don't really think it's... It's not really broken, like, if you think about it. But it feels... Like, say with rogues, they can feel in the moment. They can feel like, holy shit, how much damage did you just do? But it, it, is, it is actually not broken when you really come down. That's just my experience. And I've, like, I've only played Dungeons & Dragons. Ari, what about you? Did her audio cut out again? Perhaps. Ari? Oh, dear. Oh, there you oh, are. There. Hey, hey, yeah. there I am. All right. All right, there we go. Um... No, I was just saying uh, that's kind of the points of high-level characters because you are, like, you have survived up to this point. You have gained that experience. That is, uh, it is your right now to be broken. (laughs) Um, uh, As for broken characters I've played, um, uh, again, there was that one uh, character with the broken sword that I had, but that wasn't so much the character uh, that was broken. Um, however, in my Friday night game that I'm a player for, um, the DM kind of sort of, uh, gave me a little too much money and I went wild with the enchantments. So I'm doing somewhere in the realm of like 60 damage a turn as a level eight fighter. Damn. So. (laughs) What system? Uh, Pathfinder, Pathfinder. Uh, because like. It's like a like a speed enchantment that gets gives me an extra attack a turn. Um, a mess of enchantments that do extra damage, um, an increased critical range, uh, extra damage on a critical. So um, it, we actually had to uh, retcon a little bit of it. Uh, I actually removed the critical range enchantment because it turns out I was already getting stuff uh, from. Uh, like uh, weapon mastery feats, so it was like, okay, can we can we scale this back a little bit so you're not breaking all of my encounters? <laughs> Shouldn't allowed you to enchant. <laughs> Too late. Yeah, for me, I, I think the most broken character I've played well it came down to two things. Uh, one, uh, I was a it was a high level bard. It was like a twelfth level bard, and they have magical secrets. And so you have as many spells, known spells as a wizard, minus their being able to cast uh, spells as a uh, ritual. Uh, and you get four spells from any class. And there's, so there's some, some spells, especially from Xanathars, that are really broken. Like they're, they're at least one level too, too low. And... So I was able to pull all these like druid spells and cleric spells uh, that are just insane. Uh, Sounds absolutely lovely. 
Oh yeah. And, and honestly, like lore bards are crazy. I, I, they're stupid, broken at high levels, but like we said, everything's broken at a high level. Um, I think lore bard, bard. I like, I like bards, but I mean, I don't thematically, I don't like lore bard the most, but why do you think that is the most broken one? Well, it's just way up there. Well, mainly because, um, after 10th level, you get, you can know four spells from any class and two of them don't count against your known spells. So you essentially get two free known spells and four from any class. So depending on how things go, and this is one reason it kind of rolls into our item of the week. Um, I got this legendary item randomly on a random roll from the DM that allowed me to do three attacks at once. And so I could drop a banishing smite from the you know, from the paladin class, which did five d ten per attack. So I was I uh, for a while I was doing fifteen d ten plus three d six damage if I hit all three attacks, and that was just super broken. Was that that tentacle rod? Tentacle rod, yeah. So let's see, tentacle rod, uh, rod rare, uh, made by the drow. This rod is a magic weapon that. Ends in three rubbery tentacles. So it's, you know, hentai tentacle monster rod. Uh, while holding the rod, you can use an action to direct each tentacle to attack a creature you can see within 15 feet of you. Each tentacle makes a melee attack roll with a plus nine bonus. On a hit, the tentacle deals 1d6 bludgeoning damage. If you hit a target with all three tentacles, it must make a DC 15 constitution saving throw. On a failure, the creature's speed is halved, it has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws, and it can't use reactions for one minute. Moreover, on each of its turns, it can take either an action or a bonus action, but not both. At the end of each of its turns, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the, ending the effect on itself on a success. I would, I would say your dungeon master made a mistake because by the way that's worded, I wouldn't allow you to smite. Well, the thing with the smite is, uh, you know, then let's see. Let's look at ban- banishing smite. Uh, the, next time, the next time you hit a creature with a weapon attack before this spell ends, the weapon crackles with force and the attack deals an extra 5d10 force damage to the target. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is a weapon attack. Right, you, you you direct the tentacle to attack. It's kind of like a pet. Well, but it's still a rod, so you're connected to it. It's not like yeah, but it's the tentacles that are attacking, not you. Hmm. I mean, uh, so eventually he reruled that it was only once instead of all three times. But I mean, I could see you could allow that, I guess. But I would just say if you're using the rod, it's not you that it's attacking. That's that was how how I would rule it. Hmm. All right, what do you think? I'm kind of, um, I mean, there are a couple different ways that you could rule it. Um, Because on one hand, if you wanted to try and keep it the same, uh, like you're, uh, in that case, it would just be a matter of the DM then uh, would need to rebalance other things. Uh, So be it uh, give uh, whatever you're up against, be it something similar or something that could somehow go up against that or um, or like what your DM did, have it only be one attack. But I do also agree with Andreas that 
um, that it is like what he said, it's not, it's the, it's the rod. Yeah, I mean, even even if you don't get to apply an unhit effect from your class, it's already really good. It can attack three targets for moderate damage or can attack one and apply a very good... good. Mm, the other thing about it is it actually has a, a range of 15 feet. Yes, yeah, so it also has a longer range. Right. Uh, but even like smaller stuff like Hunter's Mark makes it really powerful or... Um, Oh, there's another paladin spell that whenever, basically, whenever you hit something, it takes one d4 damage bonus. But even then, I mean, according to you, Andreas, not even Hunter's Mark would work. Oh, I mean, I'm not sure about the wording on Hunter's Mark, but the paladin spell you said, where it's like where you hit, I would say it doesn't work because it's the tentacles that are hit, which are kind of like your pet. Uh, until the spell ends, you deal an extra one d6 damage to the target whenever you hit it with a weapon attack. Then I wouldn't. You wouldn't get that if you were using the rod in my game, at least. Hmm. That's interesting. See, to me, since it is technically a weapon, you know, it it, it is a rod. You know, it comes in the rod class. So, to me, you would it, you could get some bonus damage if you did it right. I mean, with the way it's worded, with the way you direct the tentacles and they hit, it seems like their intention is that it's not you hitting. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. If nothing else, it seems like it would be too good if... Uh, if you did want to, like, rule it uh, that way, though, again, uh, it's just a matter of balance. Because, I mean, there are probably other items and other uh, combinations that you could do that with to throw at your players. Uh, it's just a matter of, like, figuring out how to work the rules in your favor. And that just goes for players and DMs alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before my DM nerfed it, there were definitely some encounters that if it didn't go right, we were all dead because he had to to to, to make them so difficult because I was dealing so much damage. Yeah, no, uh, that that's kind really, of that's not really fun either. Why? It's not really fun that it's uh, like it feels like it's like kind of like roll the dice. Okay, a little too much. Like we can't counterplay this either. Either Jacob hits with his tentacles and, and blasts with the damage, or we're fucked. Well, and the other question is, is, okay, so if you were to say it's only one attack, but how do you handle... So say, say you would, would get, like, a smite, right? Once. How do you handle that with a simultaneous effect? So if you're hitting all three tentacles, technically, technically at the same time, could you proc all three? Or would it just be the first one, but they're all hitting at the same time? I would say... I mean... I would stick with my original ruling, but let's pretend that we like one of them will allow be allowed to smite. I would say either it's random, so roll a d6, one, two is for this one, two, three, or is that one, five, six is that one. Or you can, depending on how large we are, we can say which one do you want to do the smite on. Okay. I would probably uh, agree with that. Say, like, you have to declare before you roll which one you want to have the smite. That would make sense. Yeah, because, you know, there is the ability to hit three targets at once, which is an interesting uh, Exactly, thing. yeah. Yeah, it, it, but here's the rest of Banishing Smite, because it is a really interesting spell if you ever play a Paladin. It's like, so the next time you hit a creature with a weapon attack before the spell ends, uh, your weapon crackles with force, and the attack deals an extra 5d10 force damage to target. Additionally, if the target redu- if the attack reduces the target to 50 hit points or fewer... You banish it. If the target is native 
uh, to a different plane of existence than you're on, the target disappears, returning to its home plane. If the target is native yeah. to the plane you're on, the creature vanishes into a harmless demi-plane. While there, the target is incapacitated, it remains there until the spell ends, at which point the target reappears in the space it left or the nearest unoccupied space. So it just straight up casts cast Spanish. Yeah, <laughs> when you're smiting. <laughs> uh, uh, what was the duration on that? Uh, it's concentration up to one minute. Okay, all right. So it's removed from the rest of combat. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. And just the party like surrounds that one square, weapons drawn, waiting for it to come back. <laughs> right. <laughs> we definitely did that to a dragon once. <laughs> I've I've had similar happen in uh, some of my games. It was almost funny. Almost. <laughs> I saw them do the critical roll to some really slow moving moving rock tentacle monster. It's like they got banished. I went to the other end of this cave, and it's like, like he was really annoyed because it's really slow, so I couldn't follow them. <laughs> but only be where I was. It took. I think it could move five feet a turn or something. Yeah. So what's your uh, okay? So not necessarily broken, but like the most creative ways you've seen players use the rules. Uh, way I've seen players use the rules. I mean, I allow a lot of creativity. Like basically, like they were usually. Like, I mean, I'm always. I'm very much the the MRSA type where it's like you can you may attempt to do almost anything <laughs> so we've seen there was once okay this was some I don't know if this is like an, a creative use of rules but once they had to get into this village that was like taken over by orcs to save some people that had been killed. there was more orcs than they felt like they could handle so they went down into the forest and found a giant boar and like Echoed that and kept like kept it running after them all the way into the village and like 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 then send it rambling into the orcs and then they like use the distraction that way. But that's not that's just that's not really like you like doing anything special with rules. That was just creative. Uh, I have um, it's the same uh, player that I've been uh, doing that homebrew spell and the other homebrew stuff with uh, for my Sunday game. Um, he is the party's item crafter and he has been, uh, effectively putting curses on a bunch of the items to help reduce the costs, but they're like minor curses. So it's stuff like, oh, uh, you're, uh, the, whoever wears this item, your hair is now purple and it feels 10 degrees cooler. It's like, well, considering you guys are probably heading to the desert soon, that's actually kind of useful. One thing I've, I've actually done myself, which I, I thought was pretty clever, is we were fighting this really big monster. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I ran to it, grabbed it, dimension doored, which allows you to move you and another creature 500 feet. Doesn't that have to be a willing creature? Unwilling, you, you have to make a, a save, or the creature has yeah. to make a save. The creature didn't make the save, so I, I dimension doored 50 feet up and dropped it. <laughs> and it didn't have feather fall, and I did. Nice. So, was, uh, so I don't, sorry. I'm trying to remember exactly uh, how falling damage works. But it, 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 it's... It's 1d6 for every 10 feet. Yeah, so it was, what, 50d6 damage to a 2 maximum of 20d6. No, it would be 5. It's... Yeah, if it was 50 feet, then that no, would have been 5. 500 feet. Okay. <laughs> but it does cap out 20d6. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I killed it. <laughs> that's uh, part of the reason why all summons must be 
placed on the ground. You cannot summon things in midair because that was something broken in, uh, I think it was 3.5, uh, where people would be trying to summon things above what they were fighting and using the fall damage uh, from uh, what they had summoned to uh, do more damage than what you cut out again, Ari. Yeah, I, I could see that, like summoning a boulder or something above it. Actually, I'm, I'm reading Dimension Door right now, and it seems to me that you didn't bend the rules, you actually broke the rules twice, depending on how big the creature was. Because it has to be something you can carry. You can, you can bring along objects as long as their weight doesn't exceed what you can carry. I'm assuming a big creature, like you said, is probably outside of what you can carry. Uh, you can teleport yourself from your current location to any other spot within range. You arrive at... Uh, okay, you can bring along objects as long as they're weight. You can also bring one willing creature. Huh. If size or smaller. Right. As long as you can carry it. And it has to be willing. There's nothing about a save if it's unwilling. Man, I would swear from the my what the spell card said it was there was something to do with uh, an an unwilling creature. I mean, if your GM like like was like, sure, it has to make a save, then that's how it was in your game. But per how it is there, you you couldn't on multiple levels at least. Right. Hmm. Oh, I wonder where Ari went. I am here. Hold on. Yeah, there you are. Hey. We hear you. All right. I just have to mute myself and unmute myself. It's weird. <laughs> ah, unlucky. But, yeah. Um, I was just saying, uh, I forgot what I was saying. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, another, because you, you, you asked why I think the Lord Bard is, uh, well, the Lord Bard gets additional magical secrets, but like the Bard in general gets like one, two, three sets of magical secrets. And plus the Lord Bard gets another set. So you get like, six or eight spells from other classes, which if you can mix and match those in the right way, you can do some seriously vicious stuff. In my opinion, bards are the best class because they're the most versatile. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that just, it's just the best. Like, um, also the most, they're also the most fun to play. Well, because you're, you're trying to bone everything, right? I was, well, kind of. I was like, one time I played a, a bard, I was like... Uh, Bisexual uh, half halfling who flirted with everybody, which was, which was fun. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. First thing I did was I scored the waiter table with the inward. Nice. Oh, it, one thing like I did um, with with my lore bard is I would use create bonfire, which is uh, it's a cantrip, which is nice. Uh, let's see. You can create a bonfire until the spell ends. A magic bonfire fills a five foot cube. Any creature in the bonfire space, when you cast a spell, must succeed or take one d eight fire damage. A creature m- must also make the saving throw uh, when it moves into the thing, and it increases. It's sort of like Elders Blast. It increases with levels. So what I would do is I would create a bonfire, and then if I could, if the creature didn't move out of the space, I would use hold person on it to keep it in the in the bonfire space you know so every turn it was just doing 3d8 damage beautiful um i have only had the chance to play one bard and it was for a one shot and he was pretty and he was smart but oh boy that five wisdom (laughs) (laughs) so uh in the campaign i was playing with the bard which actually ended may have ended but between now no it ended before our first episode uh, there was a deck of many things 
And so I pulled from it and ended up losing five of my intelligence. So I dropped down to like a six, five or six int. So I just ended up playing him as Joey Tribbiani from Friends. How oh my gosh. So every time, every time I walked up to somebody, was like, how you doing? Oh my goodness. Which I thought thematically made sense, right? Because he's an actor, so he's essentially a bard. Yeah, no, it, I would say it definitely fits. So uh, it was terrible for my character, but it's super fun to roleplay. Yeah. And, and like, that's always the fun thing about, because um, for, uh, for all the Pathfinder games that I run, I pretty much say if you want to have a starting score of 20 or higher, you have to take a negative in another score. So that's always been super, super fun for role-playing because in my Saturday game, I have a uh, shaman who has, I think, like an eight in strength. So he's like super like spindly noodle boy. But um, oh my gosh, if he's not the reason like half the party is still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I always love when people get like super into the role play and like really craft their character to do it instead of min maxing. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely like I'm playing a character right now that is definitely not min max, but the role play is super fun. How do yeah. you guys do stats? Do what? Uh, stat stat block. Mm. I generally just do the standard array for when uh, I'm creating a character. What standard array do you use? Oh, so I'd have to look it up. Uh, the 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8? Yeah. Okay. I think that's, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, I don't, I don't want to force them to do in general. The way I, I encourage rolls, and then if the rolls total doesn't meet a minimum requirement, the number escapes me right now, but I think it's 70 something or something like that. It's the way uh, Mercer, it's like you roll out and then you put them where you, you can put them where you want. If it's not high enough, you get to re roll the whole block. Mm. Um, I do it different uh, just depending on kind of what my players want to do. Uh, For my uh, 5e game that I'm running, I had them roll. uh, I did the 46 uh, seven times, and they got to pick the top top six stats that they could then attribute. And one of them still wound up with a four in uh, charisma, which has been absolutely hilarious. but usually for Pathfinder, uh, I give them 16 points to put into all of their stats, uh, just a one-for-one. One. Uh, and then again, if they want to start out with 20 and something, they have to take uh, at least a negative one in something else. Um, but I've also used Standard Array um, for, uh, for a 5e one-shot that I did a while ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't like. I like. I like just like when they level up, roll health instead of just average. Mm. Yeah, one uh, one character I made was completely like the opposite of min max, but uh, his name was Tommy Two Spells, and I, I roll. Tommy I played, two spells. Did he yeah. only have two spells? No, but your character concept. <laughs> but his whole thing was he he thought he was really charismatic, but he wasn't. So all of his spells were like supposed to be like all flash and all this stuff so was like minor illusion and other things and so he was always trying to like flirt and do all this other stuff but he was terrible at it and he was a he was a five foot two dragon bar dragonborn so he was like had oh napoleon complex it was it was one of the more fun characters i play but it was he was completely broken he sounds absolutely phenomenal 
Yeah. Did he? Did he ever? Did he ever manage to like uh, charm someone? He did not. His um, his charisma was seriously like whatever the bottom of the standard array was. But I mean, there's nothing better than a character like that, and then you're just like, okay. Okay, this is like Jacob's character. He's in the inn. They're level 10. It's like, he's been doing this every end they've gotten. Jacob walks in. He's like, yeah, we all know what Jacob's going to do. He's going to go up to the barmaid. He's like, how you doing? <laughs> and, and then he rolls in that 20. <laughs> <laughs> it finally happens. <laughs> and everyone cheers. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, the, uh, my character for Friday Night Games has an 8 in charisma. And... Um, uh, I wound up taking a, um, oh goodness, what's it called? Um, some kind of debuff uh, in exchange for an extra feat. And so my poor Friday Night Fighter has a negative five in sense motive, a negative five in bluff, a negative five in diplomacy. And it's just like watching this poor fighter try and navigate any social situation is the most hilarious thing on the planet. <laughs> there's a there's a great uh D and D YouTube uh Puffin Forest. I don't know if you well it's not I really D. I love Puffin Forest. Yeah, but there's a one where he, he made a character that managed to get level one in every class. Yep. Legally. That's absurd. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't watched that video, I'll put for all the people in podcast land, I'll put the link in the show notes. But it is hilarious. And the way he like made his <laughs> and the way he made his backstory was was fantastic. So when they were level twenty, he was level one everything. Yeah. And everybody else Effectively. Yeah. They had big blast spells. He just had nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it is it is absolutely hilarious. Uh yeah, you can just YouTube it like uh, yeah. Puffin Forest absurd. And he's yeah, it, it's a fantastic thing about how like you can create basically unplayable characters if if you get too creative. I think that was just meant for a one shot, and then he wound up bringing the character back as an NPC in one of his games. Yeah. And everyone hated him. I wonder why. <laughs> and I guess it's the other side of broken. You know, if you're not careful, you can break your character in a bad way. Like to where they're essentially oh, okay. unplayable. Like, it, I think it's hard to do in 5e, but if you mismanage it, like, if you take a a bad multi-class or something, like, you can really just, like, make your character terrible. Yeah, just absolutely unusable. But mm. at the end of the day, as long as you're having fun. Right. And as long as your party's having fun. Exactly, they might not exactly. enjoy playing with someone who literally can't do it. Yeah. I would, I would love to, like... I guess if you're going to do something like like five different classes, you need to play like a human because humans are supposed to be like the jack of all trades race. Yeah, I'd say that definitely makes sense. I mean, humans um, are the best, one of the best race with the extra feature in five edition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're real strong. I actually just played my first human fighter for a one shot last week. Oh, boy. How'd that go? Uh, pretty well. We, I mean, it was low level. We were playtesting some stuff. Uh, so I right, can't right, right, talk right. too much about it, but it is awesome. <laughs> like some of the new stuff coming out is really cool. But I think that's the extent of what I can say. Uh, but you know, it's just fun because like that is like the standard you know human class, right? Is like human fighter. Oh. The the number of human fighters I've played is um, uh, it, it's the reason why everybody that I play with is like, oh, Ari is a fighter. 
through and through. It's like, I can't argue with that. <laughs> in one of the uh, crap guide to D&D from like Joe Cat on YouTube, he, he makes fun of human fighters. So it's like. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's totally warranted. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Especially with the extra feet in 5e, you can get really strong really quick. Oh, yeah. Um, even in Pathfinder, uh, like a human fighter at level one will start out with three feet. It's a little bit broken. Jeez. <laughs> That's funny. Speaking of, uh, I said earlier with Jacob rolling a nat 20 on his no charisma character. Something I was wondering, do you a house rule that, because we, I do, that Nat 20 and Nat 1s work in social encounters and that Nat 1s in combat. Because that's not a thing in Right. I do. I like it. Because I, I, like, the, I like the idea that, that giving them the ability to crit on something one way or the other just creates enough randomness for it to be really funny. I definitely... I, sorry. I was like, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, it, I think it's not nearly as fun if it's not there. I definitely in the same boat. Um, there was a, again, that human, uh, that uh, fighter that I'm playing um, got a nat one. So it wound up being a negative four total on sense motive uh, when someone was trying to hit on them. And uh, that did not go super well for anybody. So someone's trying to hit on them and he took it as like, a, he, she took it as a very aggressive thing. I took it as... Because the um, it was a it was a bard hitting on them and um, and the bard was like, hey, do you, do you want to go get a drink after my fighter totally kicked his butt and uh, my fighter just took it as I will never turn down the opportunity for free alcohol <laughs> and then wound up with a very large, very pretty uh, naked bard in their bed and just uh, kind of turned around and left the room. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I'm just seeing the, the end game meme with the Hulk standing there. I see this is an absolute win. <laughs> you get hard, free drink. I'm just like, what's not to like here? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to play that character at some point, like the friendly Hulk from, from Infinity War or, or in game. Oh, I mean, can't even think like what the stats on that would be. <laughs> have to be like. A tall goblin with a really high wisdom and a really high int. Barbarian. Barbarian. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You might have to multi-class with like a wizard. Like a wizard barbarian multi-class. <laughs> I'm almost curious to see that. I, like, I'm trying to think about the viability of it. And it would definitely be fun to roleplay. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, I think. At some point, they're supposed to be bringing the artificer out in 5e. So maybe it would be like a bar- yeah, barbarian artificer. Right Do what? That is in playtesting, but it's coming to TM. Well, that's, they've been saying that since I've been playing this game. Yeah. <laughs> for the last like, three or four years, they've been saying it's coming soon. Uh, but, it's been playtesting for like a year or something. Yeah. One of, uh, in one of my games, a guy played the uh, Unearth Arcana version. And it was pretty interesting, but like the, yeah, I think it would have to be a bar- barbarian artificer multi-class. <laughs> Maybe that could be our next topic. Let's create the Avengers in d and I am, I see this as a total win. <laughs> we need an artificer because otherwise who's going to be Iron Man? Yeah, I mean, our, Iron Man is definitely straight artificer. <laughs> uh, I Do think we have we any could... more uh, male questions, by the way? Uh, like, I don't think so. 
Maybe let me look. Uh, uh, no, nothing as of right now. I was actually about to say, I think we've gone off the rails far enough that it's probably time to call it an episode. <laughs> <laughs> what was the theme today? <laughs> homebrewing. Homebrewing. <laughs> right. Yeah, homebrewing. Don't do that a lot. We didn't really get to talk about it much. <laughs> Well, that's the fun of podcasting. You have a you you tend to start here and you end up over here, and the next thing you know, you're talking about the Avengers as D and D. What was the conclusion we got to do? Whatever uh, fits your game, but reskin if possible because that won't break the game. Right. I think that's. Mm-hmm. Well, and also like don't look at other other games in a similar system. You know, or because there's a lot of stuff that was in 3.5 that's not in 5e yet. So, you know, it's if you can go back to a previous version and just tweak it for 5e or, well, Pathfinder only has one edition right now, right? So far, but uh, second edition is in playtesting last time I checked. Mm, That'll probably be big at Gen Con this year. Totally. If you ever get the chance, go to Gen Con. It's fantastic. It seems a little far away. (laughs) it's not that far for me so i can actually it's like a six hour drive for me so it's nice that's not too bad no it would probably be like a solid 20 hour drive for me it's a little six hour drive i could i could drive to like two other countries and back again <laughs> <laughs> okay maybe not two other okay yeah actually i could get to sweden and norway if I yeah, it's, it means two states over for for me but anyway, we're talking about geography now, and I don't think our listeners want to hear that. So what? Uh, check us out, brokenjars.xyz on the internet, uh, patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. Uh, I am Jacob Ingalls. You can find me at Jacob Ingalls on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Uh, Andreas, uh, he is also part of Broken Jars, part of the Dresden Files podcast. Ari is her, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I barely exist on the internet. It's fine. I'm actually going to be starting to do... uh, I I will be starting to do Twitch streaming because I now have a PS4. So so I will be be putting a link to that and we'll see how often that happens. But I'm also on Twitter as It's an Ari. So you're going to do like the full-on like gamer girl thing? You're just going to play it straight up? Eh, I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. (laughs) I I mean... It'll be a surprise to all of us. I don't want to be a gatekeeper here, but I mean, I got all excited when you said Twitch streaming and then you said PlayStation. Just- <laughs> my computer just cannot handle this. I my uh, my laptop is uh, a wee bit old, and I currently uh, am not looking to upgrade because it works fine for what I am doing. So doesn't work That's- fine for Twitch streaming now, does it? No, you should fix that. <laughs> someday, someday. By next episode, Ari's gonna come in and be like, "I bought this rig. I've got an i nine, a twenty eighty, <laughs> just because I'm." I mean, then I will start gatekeeping again because then she bought Intel instead of AMD. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just not good value right now. Look at them; they're the new AMD for all the listeners here on the seventh. You can make a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you can email us mailback questions at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Please. And, and before we get every, all the internet pissed off at us <laughs> for, for Twitch shaming and all sorts of other things, we will see y'all next time. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. See ya.